This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Does faith alone in Christ alone devalue repentance? Must good works follow salvation to prove one is indeed going to heaven when he dies? Dissenters of free grace soteriology say the answer to both questions is yes. Well, Dr. Dave Anderson is back with us to address some of the objections to grace that is indeed free and to offer biblical solutions for our dissenters' confusion. President of Grace School of Theology, Dr. Anderson is Professor of Biblical Languages and Systematic Theology. He is a biblical language scholar, having earned his doctorate in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature, and is author of numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy, and Free Grace Soteriology, our subject matter for today's podcast. Thanks for joining us again, Dr. Anderson. All right. Ready to go. Well, this is a, a, will be a very interesting topic, I believe, for our, in, our listeners, because when we talk about faith alone in Christ alone, there are so many dissenters to that, Dr. Anderson, who would say, but you've got to add something. You know, uh, some will say they believe in faith alone for salvation, but in their understanding of Scripture, Faith is never alone. There are many components of faith that we have to add to uh, the equation before we are truly saved. Uh, when you think about verses like 2 Corinthians 7.10, where we're told godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. Or when you look at Acts 3.19, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. It almost seems to make their cause, uh, to make their case. Uh, share with you your, your take on these additions to faith alone. Well, first of all, the people who claim <clears throat> uh, faith alone and Christ alone would at the same time not admit that they're making any additions there. Uh, for example, they would say repentance is the flip side of faith. Repentance is from your dead works or from sin and that faith is toward God. So I'd say it's a, uh, opposite sides of the same coin. Uh, we would say, though, that it's something different simply because uh, the meaning of the word is different. But also when you get into a book like John, which was written specifically that people might uh, have eternal life, yes. it just says believe. Now, it's a 21-chapter book. Not once does it mention repentance toward God. Mm-hmm meaning between God and man. Uh, so You wouldn't leave that out if it was that no, important, right? If you're writing a whole book on how to do it, and you mention what we think is the sole requirement, which is faith, although he uses the verb believe, as we've said before, he uses that verb 99 times. doesn't use repentance once. So that's a pretty big thing to leave out if it's a requirement to receive eternal life. He says you get that just by receiving Jesus and by, or by believing in his name, yes. which is the same thing. So, first of all, it's not, it's not mentioned. Like the Philippian jailer comes to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? 
And Paul didn't say, repent and believe. He just said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved in your whole house. So uh, you have these passages directed at the unbeliever, telling him how to be saved or how to get eternal life, that never mention repentance. And those who do teach that repentance is a requirement have to answer those questions somehow. And I'm sure that's out there somewhere, but I haven't read uh, cogent answers to those obvious questions. So uh, repentance, is that a biblical concept? Of course it is. Uh, But as we try to say in some of our writings, there is a difference between relationship and fellowship. Relationship with God is something eternal. It's a family thing. You're born into his family. You're his child. He's your father. That's eternal. Fellowship is enjoying that relationship. Fellowship is not eternal. Fellowship depends on our walking by the Spirit, obeying God, keeping his commandments, uh, things like that. Well, what we find in Scripture is uh, repentance may very well be something we do for fellowship, not for relationship. Particularly if it comes from other books of the Bible, other books in the gospel, instead of John, like in Acts. Well, the Acts 3 passage is, is uh, highly significant in that uh, Jesus is about to go. His disciples come to him in Acts 1 and say, are you about to restore the kingdom? And, of course, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom as he went around Israel. And they're waiting for him to set up the Davidic kingdom. Right. And he's going to be the Davidic king and sit on his throne in Jerusalem. And he just says, well, it's, it's not for you to know that. You know, that's in the hands of the Father. You just go get busy. Uh, and what he's looking for is for the nation to repent. Now, what you have to remember about the nation is they already have a relationship with God that's eternal. I'm not talking about the individuals in the nation. I'm talking about the nation. And that began with Abraham, and he made some promises to Abraham that are good in perpetuity, meaning yes. forever. And his covenant is, a, for as far as we know, a forever covenant. Mm-hmm. All right? That establishes relationship, the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. But when she stops uh, following God, when she becomes disobedient, uh, to the rules for fellowship, which were given in the Mosaic Law, mm-hmm. uh, then he disciplines them. And he disciplined them in a number of ways, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, Absolutely. the Romans. Now, uh, they're about to be judged again, just like they were with the Babylonians and as they were with the Assyrians. Uh, John the Baptist says the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. It's coming. Mm-hmm. It's coming. So judgment's coming. The only way out was for them to repent get out of Judaism. And the way they had to get out of Judaism was by being water baptized. And so after they're convicted in Acts 2 by Peter's sermon that they put the wrong person on the cross, that the person they put on the cross was really both Lord and Messiah, they are pricked in their hearts, uh, meaning at that point uh, they agree with him. Yes. And they come up and say, well, what must we do? He says, repent and be baptized, all right, for the remission of sins. Yes. Well, he's not talking about relationship there. Israel has a relationship. He's talking about the nation Mm -hmm. repenting. And for do that, the leaders of the Sanhedrin had to repent. The whole nation, uh, through its leaders, had to repent. Well, when you get to Acts 3.19, they're once again being given a chance for national repentance. And so his 
message to Israel is not to believe, though some individuals might have needed to believe. The message to Israel, since they already have an eternal relationship with God, is to repent. That repentance won't bring a new relationship. They already have it. Already have it. It'll bring fellowship. And that's exactly what he's describing. And it's a pattern that we saw throughout the Old Testament of Israel. Uh, you know, they would, they would follow God. Then they would turn from him and they'd start worshiping idols, uh, you know, just totally turning their back as a nation. And he would bring judgment, like you said. He would bring a, a country, heathen countries against them and overcome them. They would cry out for deliverance, and then he would bring a deliverer. And so it, we saw that repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament. There are actually seven cycles of that in the yeah. Old Testament. And what's lost throughout uh, in, in, during all those uh, centuries is not their relationship with God. It's their fellowship. Mm -hmm. So they can lose fellowship. Repent, regain fellowship. They can lose fellowship, repent, regain fellowship. So in Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, mm -hmm. and turn around, that your sins may be blotted out. This is for fellowship, not relationship. They already have a relationship. Why? So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. Does that sound like fellowship? Mm -hmm. The presence of the Lord? Yes. yes. That he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before. And so... Uh, he, he'll come back and set up his kingdom, is what that's saying. Yeah. So you enjoy his presence. Uh, you will enter the millennial period. There will be a time of refreshing. Mm -hmm. That's fellowship. Absolutely. And could we look also uh, at 2 Corinthians 7.10? Mm -hmm. uh, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. Uh, and again, it uh, sounds to me like we're talking about fellowship, Dr. Anderson. Well, uh, again, context is king. So you have to go back a little bit. Verse 8 says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, well, who's the you? Well, the people that got a letter. Who got the letter? The Corinthians. The Corinthians, yes. This is not their first letter. You're in 2 Corinthians. We know there was at least one other letter that was lost. So they've received other communication. But he goes on and says, uh, I don't regret writing it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you, who's the you? The Corinthians. These are believers. Believers though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. In other words, I'm not happy I, I made you sorrowful, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Well, wait a minute. Who's repenting here? Believers. Believers are repenting. Yes. For you were, made God sorry. <laughs> you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrows produces repentance leading to or with a view to salvation. Uh, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Well, he's contrasting salvation to death here. And if you pull it out of context, you might think, well, if you apply that to unbelievers, you might be talking about spiritual death versus spiritual life. He's talking to believers. Yeah. And he's saying, if a believer does not repent, then he will be walking out of fellowship with the Lord. If he walks out of fellowship with the Lord, he will experience the death of Romans 7. And so the salvation is to... Keep them from yeah. that that spiritual debt or that uh, that uh, the living debt the living debt yeah, yeah. yes and so it's a salvation mm -hmm. uh, more like the salvation from the power of sin mm -hmm. rather than salvation from the penalty of sin we always have exactly. to keep those different yes. tenses of salvation in our minds when we look at the word saved or salvation. That, that's so helpful. Well, as you know, many pastors today make the case that repentance means cleaning up your act before you can uh, 
come before God and ask for salvation before you have to, to have a change of behavior before you can enter into heaven. But isn't cleaning up our act part of his work in us? Well, we love to teach really deep principles at our school. And one of them is an evangelistic principle that says Jesus cleans his fish after he catches them. After he catches them. Uh, and so many are saying, no, the fish has to clean itself up before it can be caught. Uh, not likely, because uh, some of the things people can get involved in are strongholds in their life yes. that they are powerless to overcome. It can be done through the power of the Holy Spirit, but you have to have the Holy Spirit. And to do that, you have to become a, a believer. Now, if you're going to define repentance, as many, many, many do, uh, as a change of mind, mm. I can plug that in. And if that's true, then I can say repentance is necessary for salvation from the penalty of sin. That would be changing my mind about myself, that I'm a sinner in need of, of saving grace. Mm -hmm. Changing my mind about uh, Jesus, that he is my only way, my only hope. Uh, changing my mind about whether I can work my way to heaven, that I'm totally in need of him. If it means change of mind, then I can see it as a requirement for salvation. My own study of it uh, would indicate that's really not what it's talking about. Yeah. I think it deals more with an internal resolve to turn from sins. Mm -hmm. That's internal. And then the outward expression of that is the word epistrepho in Scripture, which actually means to turn. So when you say clean up your act, it involves both of those, an internal resolve to turn and then turning. But I'm not sure an unbeliever can clean up his own act. Once he receives Christ, I think the normal response is to want to turn from one's sins. And then through the Holy Spirit, that's internal, that's yes. repentance, yes. through the Holy Spirit, the power is there to turn. And that brings increased fellowship as we do that. But even then, that still takes the effort of the Holy Spirit working in us mm -hmm. to change our behavior. Because I see so many Christians who uh, well-intentioned uh, go to uh, uh, meetings where they encourage one another. They give them steps for overcoming an addiction, etc. Uh -huh. But oftentimes they leave those not any freer than they were when they entered, because now all of a sudden they're trying very hard to overcome an addiction uh, instead of just truly releasing that, giving that to the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't do this, but you can help me to overcome this addiction as I just, yeah. right? Am I? Am well, I, the good thing I've seen in 12-step in groups mm -hmm. is at least the ones I've been to were AA. Mm -hmm. and I know they're for many other addictions. Yes. But I went with friends trying to overcome alcoholism. And the good thing I saw was when they went in there, they admitted I have a problem. I think that's, it may not be halfway home, but you're a long way home when you admit you have a problem. And then if I remember right, with Bill Wilson's book, he talks about a higher power that you can't do it on your own. So I don't really see those people trying to do it on their, on their own. Some may be. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the truth is we can't clean up our act on our own, uh, you know, uh, we do need a higher power. But I often see AA as a step toward Jesus, that they're drawing people in with their need and leading them to a divine source yeah. as their only hope. In that sense, uh, it's, it's a good thing. Yes, yes, that's good. Well, you know, some people believe in Christ long before 
their life of sin ends. Uh, I've seen it uh, over and over again in the lives of those I've counseled and, and even in, in my own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to an understanding of the love of Christ, uh, the life he has given me as a new believer in Christ, mm-hmm. all of that perhaps had not uh, settled into my mind and understanding. Uh, and so I think oftentimes what I've, I've seen over and over again is people who we, we see, they say they're believers, they believed in Jesus Christ for their salvation, and yet have never turned from their lifestyle. There are some that would say, well, then they can't be a Christian. But going back to the, 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 the basic tenets of faith, faith alone in Christ alone, it simply means that they have not perhaps been discipled uh, and then sanctification has not taken place, right? Well, the truth is we, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, we like to say uh, we can see the fruit, only God can see the root. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the issue isn't whether a born-again person should have fruit. Of course they should. In fact, I would say they probably have the fruit of the Spirit the moment they're born again. But most of that's internal. Yes. Someone that can't just look and see. But if someone uh, were persisting in uh, uh, sin, gross moral sin, for 10 years after they profess uh, Christ as their Savior, I think you would have the right to wonder, have they trusted Christ? But you wouldn't have the right to determine. Right. You just don't know. You don't know. And I can easily see a young girl might trust Christ uh, by being in Awana, where she's memorized uh, John 3.16, John 1.12, and mm-hmm. Romans 5.8, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just a child. Uh, but as she grows up, she hits puberty, she starts dating, her, her boyfriend gets her involved in gross moral sin, and that begins a downward spiral of drinking to salve the guilt, maybe drugs, maybe there are multiple partners now. You could go on like that for a long, long time. Uh, does that mean you're not a believer? Of course not. Uh, she trusted him. We, in our hypothetical case, yes. it was a genuine uh, conversion or a person coming to regeneration at age five. It's just that, again, uh, uh, men can only see the fruit. So if you looked at uh, the fruit of that gal's life, you might easily question, uh, is she really a believer? Could you determine that she's not? Absolutely not. You can't see the heart. You can't see the root. Only God can see that. So we must just love them, point them to God's truth and, and in love and come alongside them to help them uh, find the right path to fellowship. Uh, right. There's a way that leads to life. Right. You know, narrows the way that leads to life. And so as, as you experience the fullness of the spiritual life in Christ, you discover something such more joyful, something so much more full than chasing a life of the flesh, which uh, after a while just has a bad aftertaste. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, our guest today is Dr. Dave Anderson, president of Grace School of Theology, professor of biblical languages and systematic theology here at Grace, and author of Free Grace Soteriology. We're discussing faith alone and Christ alone today for salvation. You know, let's talk about our assurance of faith apart from from works. After all, James says that faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that raises a lot of concern in people's minds. Well, then, uh, if I'm not producing fruit that man can see, then they would assume my faith is dead. So what did James mean by saying faith without works is dead? 
Well, first of all, the way dead is interpreted by uh, many expositors is that it's the, the faith is fake, the faith is insufficient, the faith uh, is not saving faith that would take someone to heaven. Uh, but I would question you, can you think of any English sentence where the word dead is used that way? I, I can't no. think of one. I can't think of one in Greek. I can't think of one in no. English. That's not the way we use the word dead. If you were to uh, uh, be a guide at, uh, at Disney World and I went to see the uh, wax presidents and you took me in there and said, look at all the dead presidents, I might think, are you really a guide here? That's made no sense. Right, right. Why didn't it? Because they're wax and never were alive. Something that's dead was alive. Now, if you took me to the morgue and say, look at all the dead people. That makes sense. It makes sense because mm-hmm. those people were once alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what he's saying here about faith is, is not that it's ingenuine, not that it's insufficient, not that it's fake. That's not the point at all. To understand this passage again, context is king. So the verses leading right into James 2.14 deal with judgment. And he's warning the James readers, who are brothers, we know from chapter 1, verse 18, uh, for judgments without mercy to the one who shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's trying to motivate them not to judge each other. Okay. And he's saying uh, one way of motivating them is to say, uh, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. They're going to be judged. Well, when? Judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. All right. Because these are believers. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, they don't even get there if they're not believers. Mm-hmm. So he's talking to believers who will get to the judgment seat of Christ, and he's trying to motivate them not to judge each other. So he goes into verse 14 and say, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Well, what's that talking about? Well, go back to the final, uh, the first verse of the next section, which is chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing we shall receive a stricter judgment. Wait a minute. Only Christians want to become Christian teachers. But he's warning them not to become teachers because they're going to get a stricter judgment. Where? Judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat of Christ. Yes. So verses 13 and 14 going into 2.14, verses 12 and 13 leading up to 2.14 are talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The first verse coming out of the section is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. That should lead to an obvious question. Maybe the intervening verses, chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, are talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And if we do careful word studies, I think that's exactly what we see. For example, the word saved. Uh, Can this faith save him? Well, What's our first use of the word saved in the book? Well, it's back in chapter 1, and it's verse 21, where he says, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive the meekness, with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Now, if you understand that as evangelism, then this is how you save your soul. Uh, This is how you go to heaven. You clean up your act. That's right. That's what it sounds like. That's what like. it said. Yes. But if you go back just a little bit, who's he mm-hmm. talking to? To believers. <laughs> it says, so then my beloved brethren. Mm-hmm. That's who he's talking to. Some will say, well, it's a mixed audience. It's a mixed audience. When, when a preacher gets up to preach, he doesn't assume everyone in his audience is going to heaven. It's not the point. Who are the beloved brethren? Verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, of chapter 1. 
And then he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Well, who's the us? That whole audience. Plus? James. Oh, plus James, yes. Well, <laughs> yes, that's significant. Himself. Yes. That's significant. <laughs> that's right, it is. What's true of James is true of these beloved brethren. Mm-hmm. And what's true of James? He was brought forth by the word of by truth. the word of truth. Then that's true of his readers. They were brought forth by the word of truth. So these are born-again people he's talking to. Well, what then could this possibly mean in verse 21? If they lay aside all wit, filthiness, overflow of wickedness, receive the meekness and plan a word, which is able to save your soul. Well, to learn how someone's using a word, you look at where they grew up. Paul didn't grow up in Israel. He uses words a little different from people who grew up in Israel. The people in Jerusalem didn't use them the same way as the people in Galilee. Well, who grew up in Galilee that we know of? Well, there's some guy named Jesus. And who is Jesus' half-brother? Well, some guy named James. They grew up in the same household. They use words the same way. And we saw in one of our earlier sessions that to save the soul from Matthew 16 is not talking about evangelism there either. Mm -hmm. Because verse 27 says, uh, The Son of Man will come back in His glory with His Father and His holy angels, and He will judge, or He will reward every man, According to his works. According to his works. Yeah. So this That's is a reward about, passage. Yes. So this is a judgment seat of Christ passage here. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, if with meekness you receive the implanted word, it is able to make your life count for eternity. Mm. Uh, coupled with the fact of turning away from uh, an immoral life. So if you're wanting to stand before the Lord and, and hear the well done, my good and faithful servant, to show him the profit of the gifts that he's given you, uh, then, then that's what that's what he's referencing here: the judgment seat of Christ, where we will be rewarded for our works. Exactly. Okay. See, the Lord is looking for a prophet. You remember the parable of the talents? Yes. You know, one buried it in the sand. The Lord mm-hmm. comes back and said, "You should have at least put this in the bank that I might receive my own with interest, that I might have a profit." Profit. He's invested in us. He's paid a high price for us. He's looking for a good return on his investment, and if we show up. At the judgment seat of Christ with faith, and we won't without it. Mm-hmm. But no works. There's no profit. No profit. There isn't any profit for us because we have no rewards. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not the profit uh, to the people we might have helped on earth either. Mm-hmm. And that he gives an example of that of people who are destitute of daily food, and you just say, "Depart in peace, be warm, be filled." So, uh, you know, I, I, I know t- times run out here, but. Um, we can go into James 2.14 more if you want to, but we're suggesting use the wor- words the way the Bible uses them. Mm-hmm. Look at their context. And this is only the second use of the word saved in this book. And the first use in uh, chapter 121 was not talking about evangelism. It wasn't talking about who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. It was talking about making your life count forever. And if you don't have works to go along with your faith, you have wasted your life. Mm. Now, one quick point, and I'll shut up here. Oh, please. Uh, there's a question that's begging, why didn't Martin Luther think of this? Oh, yeah. Because Martin Luther threw James out. He never accepted James as part of the canon, even though it had been accepted for, you know, about 1,200 years. Had never, he never accepted as part of the canon. Why? Because he thought it contradicted James I mean, uh, Romans chapter 4 and Galatians 3, mm. Galatians 2, contradicted Paul's saying that you go to heaven by faith without works. Which is what he bought that totally. And so he thought it was in conflict. Yeah. He didn't understand. So James comes along issue. and says, no, 
faith plus works. All right, well, two things. First of all, he assumed the word saved meant go to heaven. But the other reason this didn't even occur, the explanation I've given as the judgment of Christ did not occur to him, mm-hmm. is because through the influence of Augustine, he became a millennial. Mm-hmm. The moment, that means he didn't believe in the millennial kingdom yes. of Christ on earth. If you believe in the millennial kingdom, then the judgment seat of Christ occurs before it. And the great white throne for unbelievers occurs after it. But if you take out that millennial kingdom, those judgment seats occur at the same time. And it's about your destiny, not about the number of rewards you get. If we understand the millennium to be right after the judgment seat of Christ or shortly thereafter, uh, then that judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with your destiny. No. Only believers show up there. People will spend eternity with God. It only has to do with evaluating their life since they became Christians to see how much of it is saved, how much of it is lost. The more saved, the more glory we bring to Jesus forever. Highly motivating. Yes. Oh, I believe it is as well. And so the importance of work in a Christian's life are insurmountable. Right after our wonderful verses in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 about being saved by grace through faith, it talks about good works that, you know, we didn't get there, get the salvation. That's salvation from the penalty of sin through good works. But we were created for good works, that were foreordained that we should walk in them. Uh, we are God's workmanship. I love that word there. Mm. Workmanship in the Greek is poema. Mm. And uh, we get an English word from that, don't we? Yes. Poem. Oh. So I view when someone's regenerated, the Holy Spirit begins writing the poetry of his life. Mm. Yes. And every day is another line that he writes. Yes. It's just such a beautiful picture. It is. And at the judgment seat of Christ, he'll read that poem. Wow, it's beautiful. And even in that scripture, you know, where we should walk in them, it's mm-hmm. not a command mm-hmm. that you have to, uh, but you should. Yeah. Uh, so, again, we have that choice. But, wow, the benefits of of doing those good works uh, to be able to to present that to Jesus Christ without shame mm-hmm. and regret. Well, and, and, and uh, we would say that you can resist God's work in your life. Mm-hmm. You can quench the spirit. You can grieve the Spirit. And if that happens, he stops writing. Mm-hmm. Who wants to show up, the, up at the judgment seat of Christ and he calls out your name and he says, well, here's Dave Anderson, another one of my unfinished poems. Oh, that would be heartbreaking. It would be yes. for me. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Anderson. Mm-hmm. This has been so helpful that we can certainly revisit this topic In the days ahead, well, we do hope you'll seek to learn more about faith alone in Christ alone through this podcast and through Grace School of Theology. We would love to get your feedback about our discussion today. We've set up a couple of ways for you to communicate with us. You can email questions or comments to savinggrace at gsot.edu. We'll share those on future podcasts, so be sure to write us. You can also follow us on Twitter, talk to us there, or get updates on new podcasts and events. When you visit our website, we also encourage you to look at our archive of podcast topics. There you'll be able to build upon what you heard today and learn more about topics like God's sovereignty, salvation, and other topics that are of interest and importance to you and your family. Be sure to tell others about our podcast. It's a great way to introduce family and friends to grace. Thanks for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace. 
a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash saving-grace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 